to uh, read from God's Word now, and Debbie is going to read from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. I'll hand over to Debbie. Thanks, Debbie. Good morning, everyone. As Peter said, I'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. It's titled, Made Alive in Christ. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up by... Uh, lost my place then, looking up. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that at the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in the kindness of us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. Friends, uh, let, let me lead us in the time of prayer before we come to consider God's word. Our Father in heaven, uh, we want to thank you for your word and uh, we uh, pray uh, now that uh, your Holy Spirit would take your word, which is um, uh, the sword of your spirit, and uh, that uh, it would penetrate our hearts and our minds, that we would be people who um, uh, put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and live for him. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I wonder what this uh, is a photo of. I'll let you in on a secret. This is a photo of a tram depot. It's uh, taken in the 1950s. And I guess like uh, train stations or bus depots these days, a tram depot in the 1950s was not a particularly attractive place. It's functional uh, with an industrial feel a bit grimy, it's a place you'd go to in order to do what? In order to catch a tram and not much else. Uh, you don't recognise this place, do you? And uh, there's a reason for that. The reason is that uh, this particular block of land has been transformed into this. How about that, eh? How about that? Uh, into one of the most beautiful pieces of real estate in the world. I think it's a stunning example, don't you? It's a stunning example of uh, transformation from the ordinary, even uh, one might say the ugly, into something uh, which is beautiful, uh, even spectacular. And yet, I've got to say this, that as stunning as this transformation is, 
uh, it actually doesn't compare. In fact, it cannot compare with the transformation that if we are Christians, that God has made in our lives. Or if you're not a Christian, the transformation that God can make in your life. Now, when it um, comes to transformations, I'm a person who likes to see the before and the after uh, shots, don't you? Um, because that, that's what really helps us to appreciate what has actually been done. And as Christians, that's true of our lives. Um, you might be someone who, like myself, uh, had lived uh, for part of your life uh, as a non-Christian and you've been converted, uh, you've come to know Christ. And uh, if that's the case, then really it's the, the comparison that we need to think about is what was your life like before Christ and what is it like after Christ? Uh, or if you're someone who perhaps has grown up in a Christian family uh, or you, you, and you're someone who has uh, uh, known and loved the Lord Jesus from very early on in life, perhaps the question for you is what would life be without Christ compared to what life is for you with Christ? Now, whatever the case, that's the contrast, isn't it? Life without Christ and life with Christ and what the transformation is, what's happened in order for that to take place. Now, the Christians uh, to whom Paul wrote this letter, and we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2, if you'd like to have that open in your Bibles, but the uh, Christians to whom Paul wrote this letter uh, were first-generation Christians. That is, that they had only recently heard the gospel and uh, turned over their lives to Christ. And in our passage today, uh, Paul gives them a before and an after shot of their lives. Uh, not just to remind them about the transformation, but to remind them of how that transformation took place and what that transformation now means in terms of who gets the glory. Now, this is a very important passage because the, the before shots of these first century Christians uh, are not just a description of them. Uh, it's actually a, a description of what we are all like uh, without Christ. Now, um, these days there's a lot of people who say um, that uh, all people are basically good. That deep in our hearts, we're all really, really just good people and that it's just life situation, it's just circumstances that uh, turn people from being good to being bad. And of course, circumstances in life do have their effect. But uh, is that true? I mean, I think it's been rightly said that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And it's a concept which is uh, captured by Paul uh, in his description of what the Ephesian Christians used to be like. Let me read to you from verses 1 and 2. Uh, writing to them, Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world 
and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, what sort of a description is that? It's a pretty bleak description of humanity, isn't it? It's a very bleak description. I mean, how does he describe what sin has done in their lives? Uh, What was their spiritual condition? Uh, Does Paul say that they were just spiritually imperfect? Um, That they were spiritually sick? No, he actually says that you had no pulse, that you were dead in your sins and your transgressions. Dead. Now, I reckon that before they were transformed, they probably would not have thought of themselves uh, in that way, would they? I mean, uh, these were, would have been ordinary people, just normal people, uh, normal first century people, just living normal lives and in their normal houses with their normal families and their normal jobs and so on. In fact, uh, some, many perhaps, were, were just doing quite well for themselves, like many people today. But it's like with some trees. There are some trees when you, when you, when you, you cut the branch off, when you, you chop off a branch, that there's still enough sap left in the branch for the branch to actually produce some fresh uh, green shoots. And we, if you looked at that and you didn't know better, you'd think it was alive, wouldn't you? It was actually dead. Why is it dead? It's dead because it's cut off from the source of life. And that's what sin does for us. It cuts us off from God. You know, that's actually the very nature of sin because uh, sin uh, is not just the wrong things we do. It's not just telling lies or stealing or being selfish or hating or whatever. It's actually our heart attitude, our attitude towards God. It's like um, Adam and Eve. Uh, you remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when, they, uh, <clears throat> when God said you can eat of any fruit in the tree, uh, fruit in the garden, but not the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Don't eat of that. And what did they do? Well, they thought, well, we know better than God. <laughs> we know what's good for us. God doesn't want what's good for us. And we can be like that. That's sin where we believe that life will be so much better if we actually say no to God. Uh, If we reject God's rule over our lives and follow our own passions, our own desires of our own heart, as if God doesn't want what's best for us or even know what's best for us, that we know better and God. That's sin. And in our natural state, it's who we all are. Now, uh, some people call that freedom. And in fact, the world constantly tells us that true freedom is to live your life the way you choose, regardless of God. And to live for the things and for the pleasures and the ways of this world, that's life, that's freedom and it's also a lie because 
We all follow someone, don't we? Um, Who did the Ephesians follow? Well, Paul Paul says that they used to follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Uh, The ways of this world, uh, what's that about? Well, without God, friends, what's life all about? Life is all about uh, getting as much out of this life as... uh, out of this world as we can, uh, maximising the, um, the things which we do like and minimising the things which we don't like until it's all over. Living for things which we can see and feel and experience. And so often just being led by other people, other people who also don't know God. We think that's freedom. And yet the ways of the world become our master, become our ruler. But underlying that is the deeper spiritual reality that we are deceived, just like Adam and Eve were in the garden. Uh, The Ephesians said Paul also followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, the kingdom of the air, uh, that's, that's a way of describing the, um, the heavenly realm, the heavenly realm which is occupied by the forces of evil. Satan, who, who doesn't really care what we live for so long as we don't live for God. That's what he wants, that we should be cut off from God, that we should be dead to God and the reason for that is that Satan knows that God is righteous and just and therefore God must punish sin so that in verse 3 we are all by nature objects of God's wrath this is a um, an even more bleak picture isn't it This is not just a tram shed picture of life. This is a a ground zero picture of life. But you know, um, there are some very significant words uh, in this particular passage. And yet the one which leaps off the page for me is a very, very simple word. It's a three-letter word. It's the word but. Uh, You are dead to God. You followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air. You were objects of God's wrath, but... Take a look at verse 4. But because of his great, mer- his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, what did he do? He made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Now notice here that Paul isn't just speaking about the Ephesian Christians because Paul here includes himself as well and he says that we were dead in our transgressions and sins but now God has made us, what does he say? Alive. We were dead and now we're alive. And why would he do that? Well, because God is not only a God of justice God is also a God of love, who is rich, says Paul, 
in mercy. It's worth thinking about this word mercy uh, for a moment or two. And when um, sometimes we see examples of mercy, don't we? When uh, leaders, presidents, and so on, you know, um, grant clemency to someone. And uh, that's what mercy means. It's when, although a, a person has been declared guilty by a court, that they are not given the punishment which they do deserve. An American president, for example, can just choose to set that person free. And sometimes, sometimes that feels a bit unjust, don't you reckon? I mean, you think to yourself, you know, surely, you know, this person has done wrong and a punishment must be paid, and there's a reason we think that way. Indeed, that's right. And this is why God's mercy is actually different. For when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, justice was served. He paid for our sins in our place so that we can be forgiven and restored to life, restored to true life in God. That's God's mercy. And notice that Paul then goes on to say, it is by grace you have been saved. Now, mercy and grace are sort of like uh, two sides of the same coin. God's mercy means uh, that he uh, does not give us what we do deserve. That's judgment. God's grace means that God does give us what we don't deserve And that's forgiveness. Forgiveness. Now, there's many people um, who think that in order to to get right with God, in order to sort things out between them and God, that they need to do it themselves. And people have thought of all sorts of different ways of doing that, that over the centuries and whole religions have been built up around this idea that somehow we need to do something to get ourselves right with God and the people think that, uh, well, just try to be a better person <laughs> or perform you know, some religious ceremonies and rituals that, that somehow I can fix up the things between myself and God. But can a dead person do anything to bring themselves back to life? No. No, they can't. I mean, even if we put the the, the dead person's corpse in a hospital and surround them with a team of uh, medical specialists, doctors and nurses, and give them all of the most advanced medical equipment, no one can speak to the corpse and say, well, there you go. We've put you in the right set of circumstances now and now it's up to you to reach out and be saved. No, they're dead. And that is to misdiagnose the spiritual condition. Check out verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Friends, God's grace is a gift from God, as also 
is our response of faith a gift from God? Um, you can imagine someone saying, well, yes, um, Jesus died for my sins, but um, I responded. I was good enough. I was religious enough. I was spiritual enough. I was wise enough to reach out and just grab it and respond. Not when you're dead. <laughs> you can't do that. No, the whole thing, um, God's grace and even our faith is a gift from God by his spirit who, brings who breathes life into people by his spirit. Now, I'm not an art connoisseur. And there's been a few, there's been a few rare occasions when I've found myself in an art gallery. Sometimes some pretty, art, pretty good art galleries as well. And I found myself, uh, you know, standing facing a wall with a, uh, with, a, with a masterpiece hanging on the wall. Uh, and you've probably been in that situation as well. And, and as much as I stand there and I admire the painting, I've got to tell you this, I'm in absolute awe of the artist of the one who put the brush to canvas and created what stands before me. Friends, uh, if we are in Christ, then we are actually God's masterpiece. Check out verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. Without Christ, we are dead. But God has made us alive. Without Christ, we follow the ruler of the kingdom of the air. But in Christ, in verse 6, God has raised us up, seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. That's transformation. And it's not cosmetic, is it? It's not something which can be, you know, has been fixed by architecture or by landscaping or by religious rituals, or, or a life coach, or some kind of a moral makeover. No, it's a transformation of who we are in our very being. So that we no longer live, or as the original says, we no longer walk in the ways of the world. Instead, in verse 10, that we now live, we now walk in all of the good things, the good deeds, that, and the ways of life and living that God has always planned for his new creation, his transformed people. To live God's ways now, in our character, in our relationships, in all spheres of life, in our communities, in our families, in our workplaces... Indeed, that's what much of the rest of the book of Ephesians is all about, which we'll come to later. Now, my mother was someone whose life was transformed. I think it was uh, about 15 years um, before she reached the end of her life that uh, she became a Christian. And uh, recently I was visiting my uncle. You know, he... Uh, mum's brother, he'd known her for a long time, all of his life, 70 plus years or so. And he said to me, Scott, I need to talk to you about something. 
He said, your mum. He said, you know, I visited her a couple of years before she died and she was different. I had never in all my years, in all the 70 plus years I've known, I'd never seen her so peaceful, so at peace, so joyful, so, so comfortable and so happy. And he said to me, and rightly so, he said, I think that's got something to do with Jesus, doesn't it? Can you explain that to me? I said, you betcha. <laughs> and I was able to explain to him how that transformation takes place. That by God's grace, in the death of Christ for our sins, and his being raised from the dead, that we can be transformed in who we are in our very person. Do you know, um, <clears throat> I remember once watching an English uh, TV travel show uh, which focused on the city of Sydney and uh, they had some um, tremendous shots of, uh, of Sydney Harbour. And uh, I remember the, um, the person who was hosting the show, he... he he loved the Opera House. And I've got to say, I love the Opera House too. I'm a Sydney side of, you know, it's my, my background. And uh, even when I visit Sydney and I see the Opera House, it seems tingles up my spine. It's just a magnificent building, don't you think? And uh, I remember his reaction to it, this English uh, travel compare, travel show compare. And so I was showing shots of the Opera House. This is what he said about it. He said, he said, the people who designed that building and put it in that spot, they deserve a medal. They deserve a medal. He may not have been aware of all of the conflict that went on between the original design and the final product, and I guess he probably hadn't seen the tram shed either. But he was right, wasn't he? We don't just glorify the masterpiece. We glorify the one who designed it, the one who made it, the one who's responsible, how much more should God get the glory for the incredible transformation that he has brought or he can bring in your life through Jesus? Let's praise God, shall we? And let's now come before him in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we just want to... We are amazed at what you've done. That you've taken the tram shed or the ground zero of our lives and you've turned it into something more magnificent, profoundly more magnificent than the most beautiful building in the world. That you have created, you have recreated us in Christ Jesus purely by your mercy and your grace and at the cost of your son. Father, may we never lose sight of that transformation and may we now be those who now live not according to the ways of this world, not according to the spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient, but rather that we would walk in the ways that you planned for your people, that you and you alone would get all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.